Thanks for listening to the Refuel Podcast. Be sure to tune in every Thursday for a new episode. All right. So how are you guys doing this morning? How many of you feel more rested today than you did yesterday? How many of you feel more tired today than you felt yesterday morning? Okay. So we have two things left, three things left on our D-Now agenda. This is session three, and it's the shortest session because I knew you'd be the most tired. Um, Then we're going to be going across the parking lot uh, to our 1045 um, worship gathering at Lewis. You're going to hear our pastor preach. You're going to worship together with the rest of the church body. And then the third thing on the agenda, if you've been looking at it, it says go home and sleep. So on the eighth day, God rests it, and on the third day of D-Now, we rest. (laughs) Um, So what we're going to do is we're going to kind of dive into our final session on, we've been going through the whole book of Acts all week, and um, if you lost your notebook, or you, you know, there's some notebooks floating around, I know, um, just, just make sure to find that. Um, if you don't have your Bible, we've got a couple extras. Um, I had an extra one right up here somewhere. Somebody may have already swiped it. Here it is. Anybody need a Bible? Okay, if you need a Bible, let me know. Um, so we, we kind of started, and um, we talked about how if we're going to keep reaching people, and if we are going to um, be what God wants us to be, we've got to change the paradigm a little bit, and um, this youth group can't be um, one youth pastor and, you know, 60 teenagers, but it needs to be 60, quote-unquote, youth pastors, that you guys have to take on the role of this ministry, um, and in order to do that, um, we need to look and see what that ministry entails, and um, you, we, we're kind of, over the weekend, we've gone through a, a, a three-day seminary. Uh, so you guys are now going to be seminary trained. Uh, you got everything you need. No. Um, but, but we're going to, it's going to kind of be like seminary in a weekend. And the first night we talked about what was so, what was the secret sauce of the, uh, the first Christians, the early church. What we learned was they valued gathering together, they valued unity, they valued prayer, and how that, uh, important that was. Uh, yesterday we talked about um, the, what do we talk, well, do you remember what we talked about? We said it about 50,000 times. The name of Jesus, and how everything we do is in the name of Jesus, and how there is power in the name of Jesus, and how the gospel that we share is the gospel of Jesus. Tonight, or not tonight, I'm used to speaking in front of you guys in the evening. This morning, um, the session three is called Acts 29. Anybody know how many chapters there are in Acts? Yeah, some of you guys, you know, some of you guys are already taking issue with that, right? Because, Matt, did you know there are only 20? Well, here's the thing. The book of Acts is a chronicling or a history of the beginning of the church. But the book of Acts is still being written in the sense that that church that started is still growing today. Almost 2,000 years later, that church that was started is still growing today. So that even though, you know, there, we're, the, God is not creating new scripture. <laughs> yeah, God, God told us that, that, that no one should add or should take away from the words that are in the Bible. Um, so God isn't writing, we're, we're not writing new scripture when we say Acts 29. But what we're saying is that the story continues and will continue until Jesus comes back. So where do we go from here if, if, if we're a continuation of this? Um, well, if you have your Bible, open up to Acts 1. 
You knew we'd be in Acts, right? How many of y'all were, when you grew up, you were in, the, like in an Awana program where you memorized scripture, right? This was one of the most, this is one that you memorized pretty early on, and it was Acts 1-8, or at least I did anyway, when I was in um, my Sparks class with, um, my Sparks leader was Steve Musgrave, uh, and he was a cool guy. Uh, yeah, um, but anyway, um, I learned this in Acts 1, uh, or I learned Acts 1-8 in Sparks, and I think I learned it in the King James Version. Um, but now I, I, I kind of use the NIV. So here's what it says. Jesus was talking to his disciples, obviously. We kind of mentioned this verse already. Before Jesus ascends to heaven in the cloud, he says, But you will receive power, and the Holy Spirit comes on me, or comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, until the ends of the earth. So Jesus says you're supposed to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. What Jesus said here um, is also explained and also recorded in Matthew. Because remember, who wrote the book of Acts? Luke, and just like Luke wrote Luke and the book of Acts, yet Matthew recorded Jesus' words too, and he records some other words that Jesus said as part of this kind of like final mini-sermon his disciples. So turn back to Matthew 28, and we'll read, we'll read Matthew's recollection of Jesus' words. It wasn't that Matthew thought Jesus said this, and, Mark, or, and Luke thought Jesus said this, but they, they both highlighted different parts of Jesus' sermon here. And in Matthew 28... Jesus says it like this um, in chapter 28, verse 18. It says, Then Jesus came to him and said, All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. So this kind of expands on what we read in... um, in Acts, where G- Jesus says that you will be my witnesses. Here's the, when I memorized this in Awana, here, this was my, this, it was a wrong idea, but this was the picture I got in my head when Jesus said you'll be my witnesses. I had the picture of, you know, one of those like, like, like southern evangelists standing behind a podium with a double-breasted suit with a little handkerchief folded into the three square, you know, the, in, in, his, in his lapel pocket, and he was, you know, pounding a pulpit, preaching fire and brimstone like the spit was spewing out of his mouth. When I was thinking of witnesses, I thought of the guy, you know, when you guys go to Marshall, you'll see this guy at Marshall who's screaming at people, trying to get people to repent and be saved. And that, that was just the wrong picture I had in my head. Um, when you think of witness, you think of somebody who's trying to get somebody to make a decision for Christ, right? And then you don't really, you know, once you say, oh, I got them saved, they're good to go, I've got a notch in my belt, I led somebody to the Lord, Who's my next victim, my next person I want to lead to the Lord? But Jesus kind of expands on what it means to be his witnesses. It doesn't just mean to show people how they can be saved, although that is a huge part of it. What does he say? He says, but we're supposed to make disciples. Well, how are we supposed to make disciples? There are three participles in, not to get too grammatical on a Sunday morning when you've had no sleep, right? But um, you'll, you'll learn about in English class at least I hope you do. I know you will at Grace because I learned it at Grace. Um, there's this thing called a dangling participle. It sounds like a medical condition that you don't want, but it's not. Uh, <laughs> you know, you know, you know, try to keep this private, guys, but I've been diagnosed with a dangling participle. No, but, um, <laughs> but <laughs> sorry. <laughs> anyway, um, there are three dangling participles in, this, in the Greek in this verse. And here's how you make disciples. It's three participles. The first one is that we're supposed to do it by going. 
the English rendering, it says go and make disciples, but a better rendering of the Greek, most you know, Greek scholars and interpreters agree, would it be that as you are going, you should make disciples. So, so if we want to make disciples, we need to go. We need to be going. And we did that yesterday, right, through the service projects. And, and we have to be around people who need, to, who need to get to know Jesus. But it doesn't stop there. It says baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We talked about baptism last week and how that's the first step after salvation. So you know, he says, first, you've got to be among people who need to know Jesus. Second, you need to lead them into a relationship with Jesus, which will culminate in them calling on the name of Jesus, being saved, and then them following in baptism. And then he says, teaching them, that's the third dangling participle, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. Or in, in my version, it says, teach them to obey all things that I've commanded you. Um, we talk about, especially, you know, in our, in our church, Tim Yates is kind of like our great commission Nazi. You know what I mean? He's like our great commission czar. <laughs> you know, he's, anytime he preaches, great commission, great commission, great commission, which we love. Um, but what... This is a Tim Yates-ism, so I'll just, I'll give him credit for it. He calls, teach this, the final participle, teaching them to observe, all, you're t- teaching people to obey all things I've commanded. He calls that the great omission to the great commission, meaning most people, they follow the first two, they go and they try to lead people to salvation in Christ, but they, we fail to follow up and actually teach people to obey Jesus. Part of being a disciple is obeying Jesus. So it could be called the great omission to the great commission. Um, we've done a historically poor job, I believe, as especially in the U.S., um, as uh, church leaders and as just Christians in general, teaching people to obey Jesus. Here's, here's kind of how we do it. We're like, I'm going to use poor Judas just right in front of me here. You know, I led Judah in a prayer to receive Christ. He called on the name of God. Okay, Judah, great. You have your fire insurance policy. I know I don't have to worry about you suffering, um, eternal separation from God in hell when you die. So I'm done with you. You're good. I'm going to move on to the next heathen, Allie, who I need to get saved. You know, and then once I got her fire insurance policy done, I'm going to move to Cameron, who's the next heathen, and I'm going to make sure she's saved. And you know, as long as they're saved, they're good. And yeah, I mean, we all are very happy that people are saved, and they've, they, they, they've been saved from in eternity in hell. But God doesn't just save you from something. He saves you to something. He saves you to following him in obedience. Um, what we see in, in, in Acts, in Acts 1-8, is the call is that we're not just supposed to be witnesses of how Jesus can save people from hell. We're supposed to be witnesses of the commands that Jesus gave. So we're supposed to teach people those commands. And I think you want to know the reason I think we don't teach people to obey Jesus? This is just my thought. I think we're not teaching people to obey Jesus because we aren't obeying Jesus. And it gets kind of disingenuous to tell other people to love their enemies when we can't love our enemies. So I want to ask you the first question, uh, first whiteboard question of the, of the morning. Get the, get the brain fired up, you know, kind of hard in the morning. What is, think about, you know, Think about the things that Jesus has commanded his followers to do. What is the hardest part about obeying the commands of Jesus? I'll give you a minute or two to, to think about that. Let that one marinate in your mind. All right, let's see what we got. Um, we'll start over here because Brian looks like he's ready. 
Not doing stuff Jesus wants us to do. Yeah, that's, that's challenging. Um, being uncomfortable. Yeah, Jesus doesn't necessarily tell us the, the easiest things to do. Temptation, peer pressure. Everybody else is not following Jesus. And relationships. I don't know if that means like ooh-la-la relationships or like friendships. But either one can be can, 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 ooh-la-la relationships. Okay. Um, you get you a man. You get you a woman that, that stops you from following Jesus. Um, uh, sin nature. The problem isn't just out there, it's in here, right? That we have an old sin nature um, that still is being put to death, that does not want to do the things that, that, that the Holy Spirit is leading us to do um, in worldly things, keeping us from God. That's good. DK crew. Um, humbling ourselves. It's hard to humble ourselves enough to trust that God's commands are really what's best for us. You know, when Jesus says, love your enemies, that doesn't sound like what's best for us. That we have to trust God. That's good. Giving up what you desire, uh, so talking about yeah, your flesh, your old sin nature. It might not be what you want to do, um, and standing out from the crowd, it may make you feel a little embarrassed. That's good. Giving up your personal time, which you've learned a little bit about this week, right, because you've been with us all week. Um, that, that, that is, that's the hardest part. Um, stepping out of your comfort zone, doing uncomfortable things, being bold, um, and, um, and loving an unsaved world. The, the fact that you have to love people that don't love Jesus can sometimes be difficult, right? Um, what he wants us to do isn't always what we want all the time. It's that sin nature again. Um, resisting the urge of self-desire, um, dying to the world. Come back to our leaders here. They're awake. Um, they call they're themselves the middle-aged misfits. Um, <laughs> not, wi- not willing to forgo um, selfish human nature. Okay, so, so yeah, a lot of you are kind of hitting on, you know, kind of hitting different angles of the same thing here. Um, it doesn't always look cool to do what Jesus says. Um, sometimes it takes a lot more effort. Sometimes it takes more work, doesn't it? Um, society gets in the way. You know, the, the world is not necessarily our friend here. And pride, um, as uh, um, Travis Tritt said, there's another love lost to foolish pride. Um, temptations, things that, the things that surround us. So, you guys have um, really kind of identified you know, the, the underlying force that we're up against. Can anybody tell me, because we hit on this a lot, the threefold nature of our enemy? We face an enemy that's, that comes at us from three directions. Can anybody tell us? You hit on a couple of them right here. Okay. We have... We have an opponent. What's, a, what's our opponent's name? Satan. So you have Satan, who's our deceiver, accuser. The second, the second part of it, it's something that's around us. We have the world around us, the system of the world. Uh, we love, Jesus loves all the people of the world, all the children of the world. But the, there's a system around us um, that, that is not our friend. And then there's one more. It's inside us. It's our flesh. It's our sinful nature. And all three of those things are working against us and make it hard to obey Jesus. And that works itself out in some of the examples that you gave. It wasn't easy for the, um, for the apostles. Remember, they were preaching in the name of Jesus. Uh, turn to Acts 5. And they, they, they kind of made a decision, or they faced a choice um, that you guys face every day. Um, every day... Um, you make a decision whether to follow Jesus, whether to obey the commands of Jesus, 
or whether to conform to other to what other people expect you to be, right? And depending on what your like school environment is and what your home environment is, some of those pressures may be more at other places. You know, when 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 half your school is yeah is it used to be a smoking in the boys' room. Now it's like vaping in the gender neutral bathroom. But you know, when half your yeah when 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 uh. <laughs> When, when, half your, when, when half the bathrooms in your school, it looks like they got the haze machine turned on like in the auditorium, you know, you're up against it and you, you make a choice every day. Um, these first, the apostles here, they had to make a really difficult choice. We touched on it a little bit yesterday, but I want to go deeper into this choice. Look at Acts chapter 5. Let's read verses 27 through 33. It says the apostles were brought in to appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. So let's stop there. We talked a little bit about the Sanhedrin yesterday. They were like this, it was this religious slash political ruling body. They could teach you the Bible, they could arrest you. It's a really interesting like conglomeration of power there, right? But in in terms that you can understand, they got called to the principal's office. Um, I won't tell you how many times I got called to the principal's office uh, but the, the school I went to, the, the principal had this, yeah, he, he, I would come in and he would say, my friend, why are you here again? As he sipped his coffee from his Andy Griffith mug. Um, and, um, and I was always very nervous when I got called into the principal's office. And, you know, the principal that we had, you know, he was looking out for our best interests. The Sanhedrin was not. Um, so they got kind of called before the Sanhedrin. They didn't have a choice. You know, they, they had big guys named Guido, like, pick them up and take them to the Sanhedrin. Um, and they got questioned, and this is the question they, they said, verse 28. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, he said, the high priest. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. They were teaching other people to do this to the same level of obedience that they were obeying. You filled Jerusalem with your teaching and determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. It was the high priest, it was the Sanhedrin who originally condemned Jesus to death. So they didn't like the fact that A, Christianity was growing in popularity, and B, Christianity was based on a person who died at their hands. So it just wasn't good PR. It was a bad situation for this group. They were afraid they were going to lose their power. Peter and the other apostles replied when being faced with these people who could execute them just like they had executed Jesus. This is what Peter and the apostles replied. And think about how much courage and how much boldness it took them to say these words to people who could kill them and would be within their legal rights to kill them and probably wanted to kill them. They said this, we must obey God rather than human beings. That's a bold statement. That's a bold statement. So imagine the times that you're kind of faced with peer pressure at school and on Friday night, the places you go and the people that you're with. Imagine if you were to respond to that pressure with the words of these disciples. What would the reaction be? It may be kind of like the reaction of the Sanhedrin. Because Peter Peter and the apostles don't just stop by saying, we want to obey God rather than man. They say this, the God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, who you killed by hanging him on the cross. So they're not trying to suck up. They're not trying to be like, you know, like super nice. They're they're actually, 
the, what's funny, the Sanhedrins, the, Sanhed- the group of the Sanhedrin, they tell the apostles, stop sharing the gospel. And how do the apostles respond? They share the gospel with them. <laughs> so think about what a bold, like a, a bold, obeying God rather than man that is. So he continues to go. God exalted him to his own right hand. Continues to, he continues to preach here. As prince and savior, we are witness of this, these things. And so is the Holy Spirit who, whom God has given to those who obey him. What was their reaction to this? Did they say, oh, okay, that's fine. No. Verse 33 says, when they heard this, they were furious and wanted to put them to death. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, was honored by all the people. He stood up by the Sanhedrins, ordered the men to be put outside for a little while. So they, they were divided. Some of them said, we need to kill these guys like right here, right now. Let's do them like we did Jesus. You know? The other half is like, hold on, this may not work out real well like as far as PR. Like somebody may get it like a, a cell phone video of us killing these guys and it'll go, you know, it, it'll go viral, you know, and it'll be this big issue. So, so they, they send the disciples out, they discuss it among themselves, and that's when they decide, we talked about yesterday, that they, instead of killing the, the apostles, they were going to flog them. We talked a little bit about, you know, being flogged and what all, what all that entails. So, um, so the question is, what about you? What about you when you're faced with that same decision, because we're all faced with that, I believe, every day, on whether you're going to obey God or whether you're going to obey humans. That could be the expectations that you put on yourself. That could be the expectations that others put on you. Are you going to obey God or are you going to obey human beings? That's the choice you face. So you made a little bit of that choice yesterday. When you had to decide, am I going to listen to what my body tells me, like, just kind of take it easy, don't really get involved in these service projects, just kind of coast through the day, or am I going to embrace it? So I want you to talk amongst your table there. What was the most challenging thing yesterday about serving? Like in your service projects, I want some examples here. What was the most challenging thing about serving? Like I know there were plungers involved for some of you, right, Kurt? Um, yeah, 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 yeah. Some of you got really cold dancing with signs. Like what was the most challenging thing for you yesterday as you were serving? All right, let's start... Let's start in the back with the, the, the leaders here. <sighs> yeah. Didn't have enough time? Not enough cleaner? <laughs> you ran If Jesus can uh, multiply the bread and the fish, can he multiply Clorox? <laughs> so. Yeah. Talking to people? Absolutely. Do what? Not being loud enough with the senior. Huh? What? What? <laughs> okay. Uh, we'll, we'll keep going right here. Um, stepping out of comfort zone, right? Um, not falling asleep. Some of us are struggling with that still. Um, and just, just being bold. Being bold. Um, the, the, the smell of the house that you're cleaning um, and cleaning the fridge, yeah, welcome to, welcome to um, housekeeping. Cleaning the fridge is, is rough sometimes. Um, seeing people's sad situations. Yeah, so that could, that could be challenging, just seeing how much work there is to do. Um, the cold and the, str- <laughs> the strange people watching us. Yeah, they got a little creeped out by this one, this one guy. Um, being around people you don't know, that can be absolutely challenging. Communication. Huh? What? <laughs> um, 
cleaning the chapel, so just cleaning in general. Some of you have never used, like you said, a mop or a broom before, so yeah, you're learning things. Um, not falling asleep, um, stench, and just seeing bad situations, seeing difficult situations. Um, these are my spirit animals over here. Introvertedness. I'm not sure if that's a, a, a word or not, but we, we make it a word. Yeah, uh, introverting. It's just it's sometimes hard to start conversations. Absolutely. Bathroom cleaning. That says enough right there. Stepping out of your comfort zone. Um, disinfecting every leg. Oh, wow. You did like each individual Lego? Okay. Still, that's, that's, that's very intricate. And um, just keeping a good attitude. Man, it could be hard keeping a good attitude. The smell. America's favorite French fry, I like that team name. Cleaning the two kitchens and sunroom and playroom. Um, oh, okay, gotcha. Yeah, so, so we, oh, we, do we have some more? We have some, no? Did we get everybody? Okay. Um, so there was a lot of challenges, but, you know, just, you guys did great. Um, we're going to take like a three to four minute break so you can go to the bathroom if you want. You can just sit there if you want. You can get up and do jumping jacks if you want. It's just not fair that I get to walk around and you guys don't, so. So, um, the, final little, the final little installment here, um, everybody limber your fingers up. Do this exercise real quick. Limber your fingers up. Okay, so for the next five minutes, we're going to be flipping through the book of Acts, but we're going to kind of do it chronologically, okay? So, the second half of the book of Acts, which we haven't talked about yet, um, it talks about mainly about one particular person. Does anybody know who that is? His name is Paul, um, and we kind of learned a little bit about his backstory yesterday. He was somebody who killed Christians and then became a Christian, right? He was killing Christians, and on his way, on a trip to kill Christians, he was going to a city called Damascus. Um, God came, threw him off his, his, his donkey, appeared in this bright light, blinded him, and started audibly talking to him and said, why are you persecuting me? And through a series of events, um, he met Jesus, he called on his name, was saved, was baptized, and started preaching. And everybody, it's something really interesting, God used Paul's story to really reach a lot of people because everybody's like, I want to go hear that ex-Christian killer preach about Christ, you know? So they would come and they would hear. And Paul had a really, really powerful ministry. He became a missionary, um, and traveled a lot, um, and that's back when people didn't travel very much because, you know, you had to travel on camels instead of Mustangs, like Ford Mustangs, you know, like, so, um, so, you know, he traveled, he, he traveled from pretty much the entire Roman Empire at that time, he traveled um, into what's Asia, but really, you know, they called it the province of Asia, but it was like modern day Turkey area, um, then he traveled all through like, um, the, the, the Mediterranean coast, a couple islands there. He went into Rome, and he went into, like, kind of the kind of part of Europe. And as he did that, um, he had a lot of success, but he also faced a lot of hardships. So first, let's look at Paul's successes. Turn to Acts 19. Paul had a lot of success. Um, Paul is arguably um, maybe the one who started more churches and is responsible for more people coming to Christ than anybody else in human history as a result of his kind of his ministry. Um, if you were to trace, like, and this would be a, almost an impossible thing to do, but if you were to trace, like, our church, Lewis Memorial Baptist Church, and where our church 
came from as far as like who was saved and who started Lewis and how did he get saved and how did he get saved and how did he get saved. You, you could probably trace it back to a, you know, to a group of Europeans who were reached by a convert of the Apostle Paul. Um, so he, he had a very like powerful ministry. And this is here uh, just a little snippet. I love the word snippet. This is a little snippet of how awesome Paul's ministry was. Look at Acts chapter 9 and look at verse 8. It said, Paul entered the synagogue um, and spoke boldly there, boldly, for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God, but some became obstinate. Obstinate is like a, a big word for jerk. So some became jerks. They refused to believe and publicly maligned, publicly talked smack about the way, which was back then Christianity was referred to as the way. Um, Paul left them. He took the disciples with him. So he had a group of people who had already started believing and had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. I mean, who would not like to have the name Tyrannus? Okay, so so far I've given you some really awesome names to name your sons, okay? Um, Tyrannus, yeah, uh, Tyrannus is one of them. Um, and uh, Tiberius was one of them. Tertullian was one of them, all T's. So you could have Tiberius, Tertullian, and Tyrannus. I mean, you talk about some, you talk about three boys that will cause a lot of havoc. Just name them, those three names. Um, but let, here, here's what he did. He took the disciples and had discussions in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This went on for two years so that all the Jews and all the Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. Think about what just happened here. Paul went in and he started teaching in the synagogue and sharing the gospel. People got upset with Paul because he was teaching in the synagogue and he was teaching against their Judaism. They kicked him out of the synagogue. So Paul took the people, he had a handful of people who had converted to Christianity, who believed in Jesus, called on his name, and took them to this, they believe it was like a teacher, like a philosopher named Tyrannus. Tyrannus let Paul use his lecture hall every day. So Paul took this little group of disciples, and every day, every day, for two years, they met together in the hall of Tyrannus, or in some, um, in some translations it's called the school of Tyrannus, um, and this went on for two years, and it says that he, he had discussions with them daily. So since Paul can't preach the gospel, he says, well, I've got these, these five guys here who believe in Jesus. I'm going to take them to the lecture hall, the school of Tyrannus, and every day I'm going to meet with them. Because since I'm not a local person, I'm not allowed to go anywhere and preach the gospel anymore. So I'm going to equip these guys to preach the gospel. And with these, this small group of guys... Do you see how many people were reached because Paul poured into these guys and taught them to obey the teachings of Jesus? It says, all Jews and Greeks, meaning every nationality or ethnic group who lived in the province of Asia, heard the word of the Lord. That's a lot of people that Paul reached by just equipping a small group of believers. Uh, something I'd love to do. Yeah, I was talking about trying to get together daily in the summer or something, come up with our own little, like, school of Tyrannus, um, where we just study the Bible every day, and you guys are equipped. I think that'd be awesome, but that's what, that, that, was, what, well, that was what Paul did. He was a pioneer. Um, but, and that's just kind of a snapshot, um, but Paul had some difficult times, too, and if you look at, it's like page 16 on your notes, it's called, I call it Paul's pity party, um, but the thing is, he didn't throw a pity party for himself, 
Um, but we would probably throw a pity party for ourselves if we went through all these. And we're not going to talk about all of them, but I just want to highlight them because Paul didn't, even though he's the most maybe prolific missionary ever, he had so many hardships. Look at him. Acts chapter, you may not, you can try to turn if you want to, or you can just go off the notes here. Acts chapter 9, the Jewish people in the city of Damascus plotted to kill him. It says, um, and Acts 9, 23, after many days had gone by, there was a conspiracy among the Jews to kill him, but Saul learned their plan. Day and night, they kept watch on the city gates in order to kill him. They weren't going to let him leave the city, but his followers took him by night and lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall. So, people plotted to kill Paul. Um, he was kind of confined to the city by the wall. They had people at every gate so he couldn't leave the city. So people, like, l- lowered him over the side of the wall so he could get out. He narrowly escaped death. Um, when he was in Jerusalem, there's a group of people called the Hellenistic Jews. Um, that has nothing to do with, like, the place of hell. Hellenism was like, a, it was like a philosophy, a Greek philosophy at the time. These Hellenistic Jews tried to kill him. It says in Acts chapter 9, verse 29, he goes to the next city. He goes from Damascus, gets kicked out of there, narrowly escapes death, goes to Jerusalem. Acts 9, 29, it says, he talked and debated with the Hellenistic Jews, but they tried to kill him. When the believers learned of this, they took him to Caesarea and set him off for Tarsus. He goes, ministers in Tarsus, and then he picks up a friend, Barnabas, and they go to Antioch. Acts 13, the Jewish leaders incited the God-fearing women of high standing and the leading men of the city. They stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled him from the region. Paul's been kicked out of three cities already. Then he goes to Iconium from, from Antioch. And in Iconium, Acts chapter 14, it says, The people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews, others with the apostles. There was a plot afoot among both Jews and Gentiles together with their leaders to mistreat them, Paul and Barnabas, and stone them. Stone them means like pelt them with rocks till they die. Yeah. It's not like a 420 stone. It's like, you know, stone them with rocks. They leave Iconium and they go to Lystra. What happens in Lystra? Some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. So the people that kicked Paul out of Antioch, the people that kicked Paul out of um, Iconium, they followed Paul to the next city of Lystra. They were like trolls before trolls were a thing. And they followed Paul and they stirred up the people of Iconia. So it says they stoned Paul, dragged him outside the city, thinking he was dead. So they pelted Paul with rocks until they believed him to be dead, drug what they believed to be his dead carcass out of the city gate and left him. And some believers came, and it says they gathered around him. They got him back up. They realized he wasn't dead. And they took him back into the city. They nursed him back to health and they sent him on his way. Then Paul went to Thessalonica in Acts chapter 17. And in Thessalonica, it says in chapter 17, verse 5, other Jews were so jealous they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace. That just sounds interesting. You know, like it sounds like, like, like the A-team or something. Yeah, they, they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob, started a riot in the city, Paul and his compadre, Silas, escaped, but the person whose house they were staying at, Jason, poor Jason, it says they rushed to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them out to the crowd, and they mobbed poor Jason's house. 
the mob from Thessalonica followed Paul to the next place he went, Berea, and they ran him off there. Acts chapter 17, verse 13, it says, When the Jews in Thessalonica learned that Paul was preaching the word of God at Berea, some went there too, agitating crowds and stirring them up. Man, they really didn't want Paul to be sharing the name of Jesus, did they? So Paul retreats. Then he goes to Corinth. He stays at Corinth for a little while, and that city was really messed up. It says um, in Acts 18, after he preaches in the Corinthian synagogue, it says, he drove them off. Then the crowd, you know, this was Thos, I can never say this guy's name right, Sosthenes. It's like one of those tongue twisters. Sosthenes was the leader of the synagogue, and they got mad that the leader of the synagogue actually allowed Paul to preach in his synagogue. So they turned Sosthenes, the leader of the synagogue, over, and they beat him. And it says, Galileo showed no concern whatsoever. Nobody cared. Paul went back to Jerusalem, and he got arrested. Acts 21, verses 30. Start in verse 30. It says, the whole city was aroused. They were angered. And people came running from all directions. Imagine that scene. Seizing Paul, they dragged him from the temple, and immediately the gates were shut. While trying to kill him, news reached the commander of the Roman troops that the whole city of Jerusalem was in an uproar. One guy got this whole city wound up. He at once took some officers and soldiers, ran to the crowd. When rioters saw the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. The commanders came and arrested him in order to be bound with chains. So Paul gets saved from the people that want to kill him, only to be arrested for inciting a riot. Poor Paul. So he's in prison. And while he's in prison, there's a plot to kill him. Look at Acts 23, 12. The next morning came, and some Jews formed a conspiracy and bound themselves... This is how much he was hated. It says they bound themselves with an oath not to eat or drink until they killed Paul. Saying, I'm not going to eat, I'm not going to drink until I kill this guy. More than 40 men made this pledge and were involved in this plot. Um, He gets delivered from that plot and he gets, um, it's, it's kind of a long story, but Paul was a Roman citizen. Not everybody in the area was a Roman citizen. And Roman citizens had more rights than people who were just um, Israelites, who were Jewish people. So, so Paul said, I'm a Roman citizen, and I appeal to Caesar. And when a Roman citizen would do that, they would have a trial in Rome. They were, uh, they were allowed and given that right. So they put Paul on a ship to Rome. And while Paul is sailing on the ship to Rome, the ship is shipwrecked. Um, look at Acts uh, 27. It says the soldiers plan to kill the prison. The, 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 the ship, it's like a Titanic thing or whatever. Ship hits not an iceberg but a rock. There's a big storm. Ship tips over. It says the, shoulder, the soldiers plan to kill all the prisoners to prevent any of them from swimming away and escaping. So their thought is, well, you know, all these prisoners, including Paul that's on the ship, you know, let's just kill them all so we don't have to be, you know, guilty of letting prisoners escape. But the centurion wanted to spare Paul's life and kept them from carrying out their plan. He, orders the, he ordered those who could swim to jump over, overboard first and get to land. So the ship's sinking. Paul jumps overboard, floats on a piece of you know, ship wood. You know, Paul was into ship lap before Joanna Gaines was. Paul floated on a, yeah, a, 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 yeah, Paul floated on a piece of wood to this island. And I'm telling you, poor Paul. Like, you think following Jesus is easy? After being shipwrecked, here's what happens. Acts 28, verse 3. Paul gathered a pile of brushwood. You know, he's cold, he's wet, to make a fire. As he put it on the fiper, 
or as he put it on the fire, a viper driven out from the heat fastened itself on his hand. He gets bit by a viper. And vipers are incredibly poisonous. The people expected him to swell up or suddenly fall dead. But after waiting a long time and seeing nothing unusual happen, they changed their minds and said he was a god. (laughs) So, you know, God obviously miraculously saves Paul's life here after being bitten by a poisonous, deadly viper. But imagine Paul, I mean, he's sitting there with a viper attached to his hand after surviving a shipwreck, after being beaten multiple times, left for dead, stoned, driven out of cities. I wonder if he wondered if following Jesus and obeying Jesus was worth it. I believe he did. So after all that, he finally arrives at Rome. And something really interesting happens. Instead of having a speedy trial and either being put to death or being confined to prison, they gave Paul kind of, I guess you could call it, home confinement. (laughs) They gave him a first century ankle bracelet. And it says um, in chapter 28, look, this is the end of Acts. You have arrived. Go ahead and turn there in your Bible just so you can see it. I want you to see physically that you've arrived at the end of Acts. Because look what happens. It says, for two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Poor Paul, every time he preached the gospel, it seemed like, he'd be persecuted. He'd be physically hurt. He'd be driven out of a city. And he goes through this terrible, worst road trip ever, right? This terrible trip to Rome. What does God do for him when he arrives at Rome? He doesn't get put to death. He doesn't get sentenced to a a lengthy... He gets to be able to rent his own home. He's kind of confined there, but look what happens. People start coming in droves to hear Paul preach. And it says that he preached with freedom and with boldness. Finally, Paul gets to be in a place where he gets to preach the word of God without having to be persecuted. He didn't get there right away, did he? God had a plan for him to get there. And even after going through all that, was Paul, did he shirk back? Was he afraid to preach the gospel because of fear out of what what might happen to him again after all that? No, it says he preached and he taught about the Lord with all boldness and without hindrance. So, to kind of sum up, where we're going to end here. Um, following Jesus and obeying Jesus is not easy. You don't believe Joel Osteen. <laughs> following Jesus is not easy. Following Jesus is worth it. And when you believe that Jesus is worth it, you will find the boldness that it takes to obey the teachings of Jesus. So we're going to pray. We're going to go over to our worship gathering. Um, But as we pray one more time, um, since you guys have made it through the seminary of Acts, um, I want you guys to to huddle up in your your table again. You know, reach out and touch the person at your table. And then I want to ask if the leaders would all find a table to kind of put your hands on the people at the table. 
And just like sometimes we ordain deacons and we ordain preachers, what we're going to do just today is we are going to, in kind of our own way, say, you guys are ready to reach people. You're ready to minister. You're ready to do the work that God has called you to do. And we want you to be bold. So I hope there's enough leaders for every table. If not, maybe somebody with a big wingspan can, can, <laughs> can get two tables. Um, so I think there's one over here, Dakota. Um, so here we go. I'm going to let Dakota get over there. You guys ready? So I'm going to pray for you guys. Um, you guys should quietly pray in your heart for the people that, 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 that you're with. Let's pray. Um, God, I pray that you will give us boldness. Um, God, what this world doesn't need is, is our opinions, and what this world does not need is, is just our own version of what, what we think Christianity should be like. Uh, what this world needs is the name of Jesus. Um, and God, I pray that in our own way, in our own kind of contexts and circles, that we will Proclaim your name, that we will declare your name to people who need to hear it with boldness. Um, God, that we will put our social status to death, um, that we won't be as concerned about what other people think as we will be concerned about the fact that we serve you. And God, I pray that our motto will be that we would rather obey God rather than men. Um, God, I pray that every teenager and every leader here will see the worth of following Jesus to the ends of the earth. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for listening to the Refuel podcast. If you have any questions or would like to review the notes from this podcast, be sure to download the Refuel app from the App Store on any mobile device.